If you're affected by anything you hear on this podcast or you just want to talk, please reach out to someone for help and support. You can also get in touch with Man Blues via manblues at gmx.com. We also have a presence on Twitter or X, as well as on Instagram and Mastodon. We're not qualified to help, but we can listen. Please don't suffer in silence. I'm Leon Deggs, and I have Man Blues. In this week's podcast, we've got special guest Red joining us again. Why did we decide to do a podcast as late as it is? As late as it is for me, which is currently looking at the clock, 10 past one in the a.m. Oh, wow. Can't imagine what that feels like. I haven't even had my afternoon nap yet, and I'm feeling tired. Well, that's the thing. I think last time you and I spoke, you actually said that you wanted to... Next time we met, you wanted to talk about being tired and how that affects your man blues. So that's a nice little segue. I don't know if that was paid for. It was paid sponsorship. Tell me a little bit about when you're tired, how that makes you feel. Me? Yeah. It makes me really grumpy and it makes me less, um, less susceptible or less accepting of other people's stupidity. And why do you think that's the case? Philosophically, when somebody is... uh, When I'm tired and somebody is giving me their standard day-to-day crap that they give me, when I'm tired, I can't put up with it as much or for as long. But when I'm not tired, I look at it and I kind of go, that's okay, I can bite that bullet, I'm fine. But when I'm tired, I kind of go, oh, for God's sake, do you have to do this now? Do you think your tolerance level's lower or higher when you're tired? It sounds like it's lower. Oh, definitely lower. I don't stand for anywhere near as much crap as as I do when I'm not tired. But is that not just the true you? That's what worries me. Because if that's the case... um, I've said this before when I've I've spoken about my mother-in-law because she, I think she acts a specific act. And I also did the same when I was, you know, overweight. when, When you and I met, I used to play a role. And I think the more tired I was, the harder it was to play that role. And I think that's where the level of energy you've got in your body at that moment affects hugely your ability to interact with other people or the way you interact with other people. You find it easier in the morning? No, because to suggest that would suggest that I'm leaping out of bed full of energy and that my energy is, if you imagine it as being a glass that is full and somebody's holding it at a jaunty angle and the liquid inside is slowly tipping out, that would suggest that that's how my body works. But it doesn't. I wake up in the morning and I'm often tired and then I get little spurts of energy throughout the day. However, every day at 2.30pm, I get my slump. Every day. That's your after lunch slump, right? I don't know whether it's that because I've I've been paying attention to what I eat at lunch and it's not a carbohydrate thing or anything like that, but it is every day, half past two, bang. And it's become even a thing on a Saturday and a Sunday when I've been out and about with the wife and I've become a bit more snappy, a bit more argumentative and a bit more no, 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 can't be bothered, let's move on, next sort of attitude. And then I've looked at she she's looked at me, you know, very kindly and said, "Are you okay?" And I've looked at my watch and I've gone, 
it's that time of the day I'm I'm sorry I'm just grouchy because I need to nap you enjoy your uh, description of your glass and you're showing it on screen like this is a video podcast that was fun that's that's the point of it is that when you get to that stage where you feel as though your energy you know the the energy glass is almost empty but somebody's still asking something of you somebody still wants you to be fully engaged with abc xyz but the glass is almost empty i mean yeah pessimism optimism have at it discuss it till the end of the day but my point is when you are feeling at your most tired you're at your lowest ebb and somebody says hey i've got a great idea let's try abc oh no no I think life nowadays drains all of that potential energy we would normally have or do you think it's the same regardless of what your day is going to throw at you? What I will say is it feels as though I'm the one on trial. <laughs> um, I think there are, I mean, you know, we, we, you and I have talked about this before about the blue light syndrome where, you know, you're lying in bed and you, you're on your phone or your tablet or whatever and you, you're stopping yourself from actually getting decent quality sleep. But the other thing is, tapping into sort of a a commonality between the two of us at the minute is that my wife is currently away from home and I know that your family have been away from home. So you and I have both been in in a house environment, in in a home and a familial environment for the last couple of weeks in a very kind of lone wolf scenario that we've been the only people in the house. My wife and my son used to go away in the summer for five to six weeks and spend that time in Germany and, you know, be abroad and be away from the home. Now, the first week or so was difficult for me to get used to the house being empty, but then when they both returned, it took me about a week or so to get used to them being back. However, my wife has currently been away for four weeks. My son is away at university. I can't wait for her to get home. Now, I've been asking myself this very important question. Am I looking forward to my wife coming home because it's one person or because it's my wife? Is there some sort of deeper-seated question around my son being in the house that makes me more anxious? Or is it just a case of, I've been on my own, I don't care who comes home? And I think that is is an interesting question. And I, I don't yet have the answer because she doesn't get back until the day after tomorrow. So I don't know. Well, you'll find out when she gets back. That's for oh, sure. Oh, definitely. And I would imagine immediately I'll be reminded of all those little foibles that she's got that annoy me. Mm. Because that's how it works. For those of you that Four don't... Four weeks on your own are, are, is going to be a lot of fun, right? No? Or is it just really lonely? How have you felt in four weeks? Well, again, the thing is with me is that when I find myself on my own in the house, what I tend to do is I tend to watch those films that I know she's not going to be interested to watch. I focus on specific types of films or genre of films or, you know, comedy shows that I know she's not going to like so that I'm not wasting that time together with her watching something she doesn't enjoy. So I find myself, you know, being able to busy myself with the right things that are good for engaging my mind. I'm not really sure where I'm going with these level of questions for you here, but one thing uh, on my side with uh, the wife being away is that I've noticed that the televisions, TVs around the house haven't been turned on at all while she was away. I don't know what that says. You know, uh, things that would happen normally on a day-to-day haven't been happening. You know, I become a little bit more reclusive. I sit on my iPad reading my book or reading stories being on my own with the animals I have 
that's pretty much it. And I've actually been quite content with it, knowing that she's having a good time. And that's interesting. So I suppose the takeaway from that from both of us is, is that while we are enjoying the solitude because it gives us the time to do those things that we enjoy, there is that level of you are missing that significant other. Yeah, isn't that not true? I think the the moral to this podcast and to end on a on an upward note um, would be that absence makes the heart grow fonder. It does. And you want to end after 15 minutes. I'll need to go into another subject. No, fair enough. So, as I said, last time we spoke, you wanted to talk about sleep. Yeah, so sleep is something that we, I think, as a society, we are deprived of. We are expected to work more and more than, than ever in history and perform and uh, especially in a work environment, it's, it's weird our society as we have it now is, you know, if you perform well in your job, you are rewarded with more work. <laughs> that, so there really actually, is no, no end to it, right? That has probably been the truest thing you've ever spoken. One of the things I was thinking while you were talking was the phrase I hate more than anything, not because of the mathematical inaccuracies of it, but... Just the fact that it's not possible to do is when someone says, I want my employees to give 110%. Do you know what? For me, 110% is, no, I'm sorry, no. The fact that I'm in a WhatsApp group for an on-call chat where there may be the possibility I need to step in and sort something out over the weekend, no. I kind of, I step back from that and go, do you know what? That'll wait till Monday. That will wait. That will keep. It's not. It, it's fine. No one's going to die as a result of that. Not having. It, it's all good. Don't don't worry about it. But I know there are people out there who do suffer from the whole. You've got to give one hundred and ten percent. And I imagine. Have you ever had a boss say to you, "What I expect one hundred and ten percent of you, Big Red"? Oh, of course. Yeah. And I've been doing a little bit of thought and research into this about what does that mean, right? And mm. especially about the word workaholic. What does workaholic mean? And I had to actually Google it to figure this out. And it's doing work over and above everything else. Your boss is more important than your spouse. Oh, right. So that's that's kind of worrying, right? You treasure work more than you treasure your home life. I think treasure is the strong word there because what it might be is you might fear losing the work more than you fear losing your wife. I think losing the work is more realistic to a lot of people. Yes. Where the reality situation is, it could be the same. Mm. With my staff, and obviously I, you know, I run a department and I never expect my staff to do 110%. I want them to do 100, 90, whatever they're capable of doing while still having a work-life balance. Yes. Now, I never ask my staff to do something I'm not prepared to do myself, but I'm also not expecting my staff to do the level or the hours I do. That must be tricky then, because I know that you're the sort of person who can't say no to people, to help people, because you're, you're, a, you're a people person, you're a people pleaser. I think it's laudable. I do think it's a good thing, because... As a manager myself, I do strive to make sure that my staff feel two things. One, that they are valued. And two, that their problems are problems they can share. So when it comes down to 
this issue might cause a problem over the weekend. And I'll just say to them, well, if you have to log on, I want to know about it so we can get you paid for it. But that's really the reality of um, a narcissistic, self-involved boss. This is what's going to happen. And, you know, as people, we, we want to strive beyond that. Yeah. But what I find is when people are like that, they're fully unaware. They really are. They don't have the mental capacity to see past that. No. And it doesn't matter how many times you talk to them or try and coach them upwards. Never works. Never works. Mm. Can I ask you a question? I mean, we seem to have segued away a little bit from talking about sleep, which is fine because I, I, I do love an organic conversation. But can I ask you a question specifically about your management style? Have you ever put yourself in a situation where you've allowed a colleague to take a mental health day? Oh, absolutely. And it happens more often after COVID than it did before. Oh, mental health was it was a swear word before COVID. Yeah, I promote the fact of, you know, emotional well-being, right? As a manager, we need to we need to do a couple of things. One two of the main things that I have in mind is first of all, what is wrong, right? Mm. Second is how can I help? Mm. And what do you do if you can't? That is tricky. <laughs> okay. Because you as a manager do not have all the answers, but you may have the resources that they don't have. Meaning if there is a social or a emotional issue that you feel that you cannot participate or make better, there are going to be other people in the company, whether that be in the HR departments, that could uh, help you, coach you, mentor you. That's interesting. So as far as the the comment you made about sleep, I mean, you asked the question of me very specifically, how I cope when I've got little sleep. Let me turn it back on you. How do you cope? Terribly. I can't concentrate. I, I feel all my analytical side of my brain is shut down. I go back into the caveman kind of mentality where I'm like, I want one thing, and that's to go to bed. I shut down. The most important part is that I just want to get to bed. The whole family knows that, oh, that's the wall. Even people I work with or friends are like, hey, Reg, you've hit that wall. I'm like, oh, yeah, you guys recognize that. That's kind of cool. Right. But is there a specific time of the day that happens or is it? Oh, yeah, for me, I have this more of this pattern where it becomes 8 to 9 to 10 o'clock, right? 10 o'clock, I'm a mess. At 8 o'clock, I'm starting to slow down. Is this PM? This is on the PM. Oh, okay, okay. So yours is, what, six hours later than mine? So you Six can... hours later? Oh, no, no, yeah. It doesn't start till 20, hours. That's when roughly my... When you start seeing it. But in the morning, whether it be 6 a.m., I'm up firing on a full cylinder straight away. Well, that's... that's I, I suppose that just highlights the differences between us because in my case, I get my slump at half past two. So 14.30, I get my slump. But by if I, if I can ride out that slump and I get to about 4 p.m., I'm fine for the rest of the day. But what I find is, if on the weekend I have the opportunity to go for a nap and I have that nap at half past two, three o'clock, I will sleep till seven. And when I wake up at seven, I'm usually hungry, I have something to eat, I go to bed at 10 and I have the most fitful sleep and it takes me hours to fall asleep. Almost to the point where I think, well, I shouldn't have had the nap in the afternoon, but I clearly need it. I needed that sleep and I needed to switch off. 
not sure if it's the way I conditioned myself, but that mental shutdown that starts at 2000 hours, 8 o'clock, I'm actually at a point where my brain is like, okay, it's time, time to start filing away the day. So by the time I'm actually in bed, my brain isn't working on anything about the day. And I find that when I talk to people, either they're a night owl or they're an early bird. And the early bird has that mental ability to start packaging stuff away early. And that's when they start to get tired. But night owls, they say they go to bed and they sit and they think about the day. (laughs) I honestly have never done that. What? And people are going to be like, my God, I just want to drive a stake into your back. Did you just say that? Yeah. No. Oh, no. My head hits a pillow and I'm out. Right. Here's the weird thing. Prior to me having a child, I used to really struggle to fall asleep. Like, struggle. The story I tell is that when I was in my final year of university, my friend helped me come up with a revision plan or a study plan. And that study plan was get up at this particular time, have breakfast by this time, study for an hour, do this, have a look out the window for 30 minutes, whatever, just refocus, rechange the break. 4pm, have a nap for an hour. The first Monday I tried it, I had the nap for an hour. When the alarm went off, I felt worse because I must have... I woke up, I must have fallen asleep at about 45 minutes of tossing and turning. I had 15 minutes of sleep. And when you've had 15 minutes of sleep... In the afternoon, you are being dragged out of that slumber. You're not ready to wake up. You're not ready to fire for another day. Now, the person that advised me on that, she can fall asleep in seconds. It's very hurtful to someone like me who has an overactive imagination. And I will plow through everything. Everything. So, if you can fall asleep like that, perhaps you're having more fitful sleep. Potentially, yeah, and it's not something that's happened overnight. It's been a a couple of years to get to that state, uh, whether that be meditation or, you know, just understanding how my body works, right? Mm. My wife and child are very much the opposite. In the mor- I wake up in the morning just really just thinking about what a great day it is. The morning dew or just the fact the sky is still dark and the sun is coming in. The promise of a great day for me just is amazing. I like to go outside, sip my coffee, have the peace and quiet. Nothing's going on. The world is quiet for once. Mm. So it's kind of nice. Well, what was interesting for me was when my son was born, suddenly I was falling asleep at a finger click and it was very, very scary to me. And I was thinking, you know, because I'm an overthinker, I was laying in bed and I was thinking, why do I fall asleep so... Gone. That could have been exhaustion, though. It could have been. Yet, here's the thing. He's 19 now. It's not exhaustion now, but I can still fall asleep quickly in bed. I don't have many evenings of tossing and turning anymore. They, They are gone. So it's almost like having that child brought about a zen-like calm for me. It's fulfilled whatever it was that, I don't know, was missing from my life or needed adding to my life. I don't know. Whatever it was, there was something that happened as a result of that. And for the last 19 years, I've had relatively peaceful sleep. There's been a few fitful nights, as there often are. And also, the older you get, the more you wake up in the middle of the night and have to relieve yourself. I don't know. I I suppose... I, I used to have it that if I woke up, if, if my sleep was interrupted, forget it. I could never get back to sleep again. 
that was me. I was done. And I imagine you've never had that. If I wake up in the morning um, for the uh, ablutions and it is five in the morning, there's little hope of me going back to sleep. But if it's three, yeah, easy. If I need to get up, straight back to sleep, no problem. What is it about 5am though? I don't know. 4.30? I... 4.30 I can go up, go to the bathroom, come back and I can fall asleep. 5.05? Forget it. But you know why? Because you've looked at the clock. But I look at the clock at 4.30. I look at the clock at 3.20. I look at the clock at 3.40. Whatever time I look at the... If there's a 5, if it's 0.5, forget it. That's it. I'm done. So do you find now that your child is now away from home um i suppose your guys are getting into an emptiness syndrome i know you're not quite there yet i'm curious with a single child family because i don't know many of them i know this won't be applicable to the listener but for for me to understand what it is like when the child leaves how does that affect your sleep cycles I, well, I mean, (laughs) okay. Yeah, interesting. So when the child arrives in the family, very young, early days, you know, little baby and so on, my sleep cycle was affected because I couldn't fall asleep until I could hear that he was sleeping. I needed to hear the snores. Once I knew that he was asleep, I could fall asleep. But then as time wears on and he started closing his bedroom door at night and we were closing our bedroom door at night, you gradually get to a point where you think, I, I'm okay, I don't need to hear him asleep. And now that he's moved out, there is that element of, I wish he would text me back when I text him. You know, I would I would love to be able to hear from him. I, don't, I genuinely don't know if girls are different because I don't have any girls. But, you know, apparently he's texting his mum and talking to his mum a lot more than he's talking to me. Again, as a dad, genuinely cool with that because I know that dads have their place and dads are the wallets dads are the serious advice dad how do i fix this dad how can i connect that you know not saying that the women don't provide the same level of service but i find that the questions my son asks me are way more intense way more serious and way more important for the betterment and furtherment of his position and that won't be applicable for all listeners. And more for our side, anything financial, wallet, or serious questions, would my child go to the mother? Really? Is that because she's the banker and you're the... Well, here's the thing. In your relationship, I suspect, having known you for as long as I have, I suspect that you are the funny one and that your wife is the policewoman. That is correct. That would be... That's why he goes to her for the financial advice and probably the other type of support. Whereas in my case, she was... I mean, I was both the funny one and the policeman, but I was the policeman. Uh, it's difficult to explain. My wife would go from zero to 100, whereas I would go from zero to 33, 33 to 66, 66 to 100. So there was always a, a stepped level. There was always that level of measured reaction. So I was considered the policeman because that tone, that voice, that finger, that gesture, that's enough now. You've overstepped the boundary. He doesn't get from his mother. So does your son get that from her or from you? I don't think either of us provide that for oh. my son. 
we we have had instances of um, a certain incident where the police officer had to come to our front door regarding our son, and it was easier for him to have that conversation with me and then slowly thread it into the conversation with his mother so his mother wouldn't jump off the, the high end. But when I learned about it, I was like, oh, okay, tell me a little bit more. Ah. Like, how did we end up in this situation? So you see, I would have been in the position of his mother at that time. I would have been the one of like, well, I need to understand this fully now and I need to know what I what's expected of me. And yeah, okay. So the roles are reversed in your family. That's yeah, and, and they can be reversed in all families. Of course. With that incident in particular, it was like, yeah, you don't need to tell me right now. We've got things going on. You know, you tell me when you're ready, but I want to know exactly the circumstances so maybe I can help advise you later. His thing was, yeah, just don't tell, don't tell mum right now. He's like, well, I can only keep things for so long, but I would like you to have that conversation with her when you're ready. I was just thinking, because there's a few times where as a father I've done things wrong and I've also done things right one of the things of which I'm genuinely still proud now is something that I don't know it it occurred to me the moment it happened and ever since then it became law in our family and the thing that occurred to me was something happened at school he was in trouble with somebody or other he was brought into a classroom he was spoken to by the teacher and by the deputy head and the headmaster and whatever they had a conversation with him and he was suitably chastised and then he came home with a letter explaining to us what had gone on he was nervous because it was like well now my parents are going to find out what happened at school so I asked him about two or three questions about the situation and then I just said did you get told off at school yeah I did get told off at school and I just said to him you've been told off at school there's absolutely no need for me to tell you off again because you've already had your lesson learned we're not going to chastise you any further because why would you get told off twice for the same thing and at that very moment I said that to him and I said you know we love you very much go and have yourself some dinner watch TV play a game whatever we'll come upstairs we'll talk to you we'll tuck you in bed night night etc my wife looked at me and she said that might be the very best thing you've ever done because now he's not afraid to be told off at school and come home because we'd had a conversation you know I think one of the worst things that I've ever heard anybody say to a to a child is wait till your father gets home I cannot stand that and I said early doors to my wife we are not doing that we're not having it that he's going to be afraid of me coming home from work so that he can get told off so when he came home from school and he'd been told off I was like nope we're not telling him off again we're not doing it. That's something that you and I lived through in our early... And you mentioned this in a previous podcast, and oh, this one's definitely go back I, to I've, that. I've got 12 stories, and I'm sure I've told them all 12 times. <laughs> Wait till your father gets home. Really? Yeah. Wait till your mother gets home? Wow, why does a child need to live in fear from one of their parents? It's something we've never, ever said to our child, and you've never said to yours either. You don't want your child to be scared of anything. No. We are not hard disciplinarians on our child, if that's the right word to use. Yeah. Like, what do you feel was wrong in that situation? Let him make the decision. Let him tell us what, okay, what was wrong there? So if that was wrong and you did wrong, what do you think should be the punishment? And we've always operated like that. But that's right or wrong. Depends on the child, depends on the parents. I get it, right? Mm. It's just a, it's a way we've worked. 
and it's been successful for us not seeing it be successful for everyone well we actually walked away from the punishment in that case because we just basically said well if you've been told off at school and the school have said abc xyz whatever the school have dealt with as far as i'm concerned that's done you don't need to then be grounded you don't need to then be locked in your bedroom you don't need to then be denied whatever it is you want to be denied i said as far as i'm concerned it's dealt with walk away from it so we definitely talked a lot about sleep and management styles and parenting as well in that single episode i love an organic conversation because at no point for me when it's organic does it feel as though it's been forced down an avenue well i gotta admit i really do enjoy this forum of talking and i do enjoy um this man blues uh podcast but let me ask a couple of closing questions here first one is the the podcast itself yes how do you feel the uptake has been terrible audience has not been great or no idea i don't look but i know that the worst part for me i suppose is that i've been reaching out to mental health professionals to see if i can get them to come on and guest and one of the guys has been very responsive which has been excellent and he said the last message i got from him was the 13th and the 14th of the month would be perfect however that was referring to last month and it's been four weeks since and now i've not heard from him the podcast is about men's mental health and the issue i've got is i'm reaching out to mental health professionals to basically say come on the podcast talk to me about mental health talk to me about men's mental health talk to me about these issues and they're not engaging so immediately i'm falling into a this is a men's mental health issue i want to talk about men's mental health and the men i want to talk to are not available and i'm like this is indicative of the problem it's been an eye-opener for me I've, i've mentioned it on a couple of episodes now little bits of research that i've done have been eye-opening i had no idea about this phobia about going to the gym i had no idea about all these other various bits and pieces that i've researched over the the episodes that you know phrases and words and terminology that were just alien to me that i'd never even heard of had no idea about until i sat down to research that subject as an episode and i just think there is so much out there that is I don't want to say anti-male because that's not fair but when I've been researching some of these particular subjects most of the positivity has been pro-female hey girls if you feel guilty about not doing exercise this is how you can deal with it hey girls if you worry about going to the gym this is how you can deal with it hey girls if you've got an issue with your weight this is how you can help overcome that this is how you can reframe your failures So when it comes down to this podcast and the success or failure of it, yeah, let me point a big fat finger in my direction because I'm not marketing it well enough. I don't know how to. I'm reaching out to people and they're not getting back to me. So yeah, in short, it's going very well. I will genuinely admit to not looking at the statistics because I have those moments. I have those personal doubts where I just think, Is it worth me continuing to record these episodes? Is there any value in it? Is there any merit in it? But it doesn't change the fact that no one's engaging with me personally about it. And I don't know how to increase that engagement. I will be honest, there's been a few times where I've just thought, I can't be bothered with this now. I've I've done enough episodes, I think, that if 
the final episode goes out and there is no hi thanks everybody that's the end of it no one's going to care not in a self-serving way but in a sort of it doesn't matter because I'm not here to solve the problem of the lack of support for men's mental health that's not what I'm here for that's not what the podcast does podcast is more about making people aware that it's okay to worry about those things i've done separate episodes about separate subjects there are things that men are out there and worrying about and don't have the support does that answer your question (laughs) that was definitely the longest answer you've ever given me so i do appreciate that but I, I think really what's really important about the podcast and I'll, I'll you know mention something that's thinking I'm thinking right now is to always end it on a positive note oh absolutely and it doesn't matter if you don't have listeners now podcasts are like books they will always be there until you take them down that's the point I'm not worried about the uptake at all that doesn't bother me I'm not concerned how many people are listening or where they're listening from I don't worry about that. What I worry about is still the same issue that was there before I started the podcast, which is there's just not enough support out there for men. The statistic of women attempting suicide and men committing suicide is scary. And that frightens me. That really frightens me. When you're 14, 15, 17, 19, you don't understand the world at all. You really don't. And then life punches you in the face repeatedly and eventually you get to a point where you think I now have a better understanding of the world but I don't understand me I don't know where these things come from we can't blame it all on family we can't blame it all on our parents we can't blame it all on anything other than us me I'm the reason for all of this for all of these anxieties and to quote an old uh, wise man used to tell me, um, you and only you are the master of your own destiny. Correct. Now, one could argue that, you know, other people have put barriers to your superb destiny in your way and you've got to leap those. And yeah, you know, family does come into that an awful lot, and certainly upbringing, and the scars are deep. And my wife is the unlucky person that deals with those. She's the one who gets barked at at 2.45 every day because I'm tired. It's not the positive uh, spin at the end of the show I was looking for. I think my positive spin really at the end of the show is uh, if you're tired, get some rest, get some sleep. You do you. Yeah, do what matters to you. Go and have that nap. Mm. Go and just have the relaxation that you think your body needs. I'm going to have some extra kip. Yeah, I'm going to have some more me time. Done. In the bank. And it's all about me time. Oh, yeah, 100%. I think that's a good positive end. So Thank you so much for having me on the show again. Oh, you're it's welcome. It's been so enjoyable. Thanks for coming on. Hopefully, we're going to be able to salvage something in this hour and 10 minutes of audio. Well, I do believe there's like two podcasts there. Yo, you want me to split it over two? Well, we've certainly covered a lot of ground. You need to get to bed. I do, it's very late. <laughs>